Welcome back to Second Look. In this episode, Dr. Brent Stenberg, Executive Director of the Christian Psychological Center, offers tips for refreshing your marriage. This is part two of a three installment series hosted at Second during the summer of 2021. Yeah, today what I'd like to talk about is, it, it, the, the frame will be marriage, but, but it really is about intimate relationships. And so many of the principles we talk about apply not just to this primary of relationships, but intimate relationships as well. And it's interesting because we have biblically both a number of passages that talk about marital relationships, but a ton more of passages that talk about how do we relate with each other. And so in thinking about our marriages, often it's important to take a look at those broader passages as well in terms of the way in which we connect with each other. Um, what I want to do today in the time that we have is to basically take a wide angle look because we've got just limited time and I want to just kind of cover some things broadly within the context of some just very practical thoughts and maybe some practical applications for being able to restore, refresh, enjoy our relationships. And so my goal would be that maybe there's something that, that is presented that uh, catches your attention or something that can allow you to say, that makes sense to me. I could do a little bit more of that or a little bit less of that when it comes to our relationship. So that's the goal and that's the hope and, and that's the direction I'd like to move in and the things that, that, that I talk about or share with you this morning. I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota and my parents both grew up up on the Canadian border in Minnesota. My dad in Bedette, Minnesota, and his father was and mother were first generation immigrants from Sweden. And he, my grandfather was a logger, not a blogger, a logger, and, <laughs> and, and uh, an electrician and a blacksmith and a farmer and, 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 because you just hard scrabble to kind of make ends meet and to, to, to craft a living and to raise a family. My mother was raised about 12 miles outside of Bedette in a town called Washkish, Minnesota. Many of you have heard of that, I'm sure. I think it is still on the map. But her folks homesteaded 160 not good acres of land and farmed that and uh, scratched out a living on those 160 acres. And when I was a freshman in uh, college, after my freshman year, I was home for the summer and my grandmother was dying up in a hospital uh, up in, in Bedette and uh, was quite ill and my mother had spent a good deal of time up there caring for her and just being with her parents in the midst of all that was going on. And so my dad said, hey, would you be willing to head up and pick mom up and, and bring her back because she's weary, would like to just have some time to be back home for a little bit, so sure. So I drive up to Bedette and I go into the hospital and I walk unannounced into uh, the room where my grandmother is and she is laying in the bed and my grandfather is sitting next to her and they're holding hands, which is something I'd never seen before. And my grandfather kind of jumped and he, he, he dropped her hand. I mean, these are hard scrabble people. And it's interesting because if you think about it, sometimes we read all this stuff about marriage and we kind of set these expectations about this is what a relationship looks like. And a lot of that is just nuts. And to be honest with you, I know some of the people that write those books, and it's kind of like, why don't you just talk about your marriage? Because I think that would make us a whole lot more comfortable to not hear that every story works out well, and that every relationship has both its wings of angels and its feet of clay. And so I don't know how they would, would do on the marital tests, but I know that they had a strong, deep, abiding love for each other, and they'd made life work. And what was happening when I came in 
is that they were reviewing their life together through those many years. And I remember that my grand, that's what my grandfather said. And he said, yeah, we're, we're right now in about 1958. He said, that's about what we're talking about. And they were just remembering the things that had been hard, the things that had been good, but what it had meant to be in relationship with each other. And that has had, that had and has had a profound effect on me in terms of thinking about that in our lives, every day is this gift that God gives to us. And the way that we spend that time, we have opportunity to do good, we have opportunity to be irrelevant, we have opportunity to just kind of not do so well today. And that's okay because again, in the broad scheme of things, um, we, 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 we know that we are participating in what God is up to. But I want to create memories that are good memories. I want to be the kind of person who cares about others. I want to be the kind of person who, in my relationship with Claudia, uh, that, 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 that I bring the shalom, I bring the peace, like we talked about last week. And sometimes I do that pretty well, and sometimes not even close. And that's true for all of us. So when we think about our relationships, we think about the fact that um, at the end of the day, we are flawed human beings. And a marital relationship, an intimate relationship, is the opportunity for two people to learn more about giving and receiving love. And it's more and more an opportunity for us to learn about ourselves, as well as to learn about the person who God has placed with us. And in many ways, the things that allow a relationship to grow are also the things that God uses to transform our own hearts and to make us even more the people that he would like us to be. And it allows us to live out a life more fully in many ways. So when you think about your relationship, I think about also my cousin, my late cousin, Jim Stenberg, who used to say, he lives in, lived in Alaska, and he used to say, yeah, he said, Joyce and I have been married 32 good years. He said, 40 in all. So that's kind of that's how he judged it. And, and, and hopefully for each of us, when you kind of do the math, there's a little bit more weight on the good side than the not so good side. There was a woman who did research with couples that had been married 40 plus years and who actually liked each other from the point of view as they would do it again. So kind of tossed out the couples that were not very happy they were together, tossed out the couples where one liked it, one not so much, and looked at the couples that really both said, yep, I'd do it again. And her favorite story when she asked people, so what made it happen? What's made a difference? And this one fellow said, and I love this, because it has to do with humility. He said, yeah, he said, here's the thing that's worked for me. He said, when I get up in the morning and I go into the bathroom, he says, I look in the mirror and I tell myself, you're not that great a catch either. <laughs> <laughs> She loved that, I love that. Because again, that sense in which when we marry, we marry with so many expectations. And when we say I do, we have so many uh, thoughts about what this is gonna be like. And, and, and some of those come true and some of those don't. And the research on transitions in marriage would say that a spot where there is often a disillusionment is within the first six months to year of relationship. And the reason isn't because a person's married poorly, it's because our expectations and the reality of living day to day to day to day sometimes don't match. You know, it's just like you see the brochure for a great trip that you're gonna take and you get there and you end up with the flu or you get there and it rains more than you wish that it did or you get there and a connection doesn't work. So there's always that sense in our life that things sometimes work just as we hope 
and sometimes not. And so there's a sense in which when it comes to our expectations, that sometimes they're fulfilled, sometimes not so much. So the question is, is what are some essentials? Because again, what my relationship, what Claudia and my relationship looks like would be different than what your relationship would look like. Because again, like we talked about a little bit last time, each one of us is crafted differently. God designed us each in a certain way. There's things that interest each of us. There's things that are important to each of us. And there are ways in which in a marriage, our values or our desires coincide, connect, and other ways where there's differences between us. And how do we navigate those differences, taking into account that each one of us is important to God and each one of our perspectives is important to consider. But sometimes you can't buy new bowling balls and new curtains. And so you end up in a situation trying to figure out how do we navigate those things. Now, if, I wanna read um, some statements and I want you to stand up if these apply to you, okay? And then we'll have you sit down. Um, and they're fun, they're, they're, they're not kind of like values things. Okay, so stand up if you talk to people in elevators, airplanes, grocery stores, and wherever you go. Okay. All right, take a look around. In this room, about half are up, half are down. Okay, everybody sit down again. Kind of that, uh, that natural bent towards introversion, extroversion. Okay, stand up if you have a color-coded or otherwise organized closet. Admit it. Okay. Yeah, I, I hate you. Have a seat. For me, the question is, stand up if you can see the bottom of your closet. And, and I wouldn't stand up, that's the problem. Third one is, okay, Stand up if you write down a list of things to do and stick to it. Yeah, I don't like you guys either. Have a seat. I, I, I feel relief when I write a list and then I can't find where I put it. That's what more often than not happens, so I make another one. All right, so stand up if you make a list of things to do on weekends. Okay, okay. See, and again, if you take a look at this, it's just personality differences. We're just wired differently. So that, for example, when Claudia and I go to the beach, for her, relaxation is sitting on the beach and reading a book forever. And my thought is, is I can stay at home and read a book forever. So if, if, if she said to me, the way to relax is to sit on the beach and read a book forever, that's good for about 20 minutes, and then I am not relaxed. But if I said to her, look, let's go explore, she'd be like, yeah, no, it just feels good to not be in charge of anything right now. So we're just different when it comes to these things. All right, how about this? Stand up if you need to pick someone to race while you're driving. If you, if you, like to, if you need to pick somebody to race when you're driving. Yeah, I don't see many women stand up here. Okay. Probably the other question is, is stand up if you um, slow down when somebody's tailgating you. Now that's the other option. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, two more, okay? Stand up if you ask too many questions. <laughs> okay, and here's the last one. Stand up if you push the elevator button to remind the elevator that you are there. 
<laughs> All right, good job. All right, see, these are, these are just things that are just wiring. And you know what? They're just different for each one of us. And these things are kind of silly, but there's other things where, again, for each of us, God designed us in certain ways. So when we think about relationship, one of the things I want to start with in terms of talking about essential is the notion of commitment, okay? And do you know what the term commitment means literally? I mean, just the simple definition. Commitment means making the choice to give up other choices. Making the choice to give up other choices. And, and we do that in a variety of areas of our life. Some people who are really driven or focused, they'll say yes to this, but that means saying no to other things because we're not as human beings able to, to do two things at the same time. We, there's no such thing as multitasking. You can do this, you can switch back and forth between things, but that can create exhaustion. But when it comes to looking at what is it that I really want to be good at, what is it that I want in my life that's going to bring meaning and purpose? Because at the end of the day, we long for that. We long to believe that our life has meaning and purpose. We, be, we, we long to believe, like we said last time, that we leave a legacy, and that legacy is relational, it's love, okay? So in many ways, the question about commitment is that question about saying, I'm gonna make this choice to give up other choices. And a term that's used for that that I love is that notion about making a decision to turn towards another person making the decision to turn towards another person. And so commitment's got kind of two different aspects to it. I'm sure it has a million, but in terms of the research, in terms of looking at uh, marital relationships, there's just a couple different things that are looked at. One is this notion of dedication in commitment. And dedication is tied to that deep in my own heart, I have a desire for a future together. This is the person I'm with, and this is the person I wanna do what we can for this relationship to continue, for us to have a future together. And it's interesting because Scott Stanley, who's a big researcher, is Christian, a big researcher on marriage and all, would say that oftentimes, especially at those times when we're frustrated, we've got to keep the big picture in mind. And we've got to look at the fact that many times how we feel about our marriage is dictated by how we're feeling currently in our life. So sometimes under stress or sometimes if we're in a bad season in a marriage, our history, remember, from the point of view of the things that just didn't go well. Whereas when we're more connected to each other, we often remember our history much more positively and, and, and remember the things that are good. So it's a decision made to turn towards a desire for connection and to be able to do my part for a future together. The second part of dedication is the willingness to sacrifice for the other person. And what that means is, is that there's kind of a very boring definition of love, but I kind of like it. It's one that's kind of used operationally, that love is the willingness to see that another person's goals, aspirations, values, desires are as important as my own, okay? Now, if it's only about me, then I'm incredibly self-centered. But if I make it only about the other person, that's codependency, because I'm identifying who I am based on are they doing okay? as opposed to finding that middle ground where who am I? Who did God create me to be? What does it mean to live out that calling? And sometimes we have to look at what in terms of how we understand life is really our preference rather than essential to us. And so that notion about sacrifice is a willingness to say, I'm willing to set that aside or I'm willing to say yes in order to say yes to a greater good. 
Now, in a relationship that's, that's healthy, over time, both parties are moving towards. Both parties are working together in that way because an element of being able to feel like a relationship is, is strong is the belief not only that there is respect, but also that there's an element of fairness, that I'm understood and that sometimes what's important to me, sometimes what's important to you, sometimes my preferences, sometimes your preferences, all that gets in play. The third thing that is, and this is just really interesting, that, that gets talked about in terms of dedication is that it's a choice to see myself not just as an individual, but to see myself within a sense of we are, we are a couple, okay? It's like, well, that is so obvious. I mean, why does that need to be said? But a lot of times we can get caught or people can get caught in thinking actually what's most important to me is to look good in front of my friends or the most important thing to me is that my career goes well or I don't want to kind of look like we don't have it all together or so that sometimes what we're doing is we're more concerned about how things are impacting us and we begin to then see our spouse, whether we realize it or not, as more an extension of us as opposed to relationship between us. And so as a result, we sometimes can get caught in trying to instruct our spouse, change our spouse, make them look the way we want them to look because if you, remember that old Vidal Sassoon commercial said, if you don't look good, we don't look good. And so sometimes we can get caught in that and we'll talk about that a little bit later. So dedication is that willingness to say, hey, I'm in, I'm turning towards, I want a future with this person. It's saying I'm willing to sacrifice, I'm willing for us to work together to find what it is that God has for us together. There's also that old joke that says, you know what, marriage is about two becoming one and the conflict is always over which one, right? <laughs> so so that, it's a challenge trying to figure that stuff out, right? It, it really is. Because again, all of our conclusions are plausible. They may not be accurate, but, but some of us will, will stand on them much more strongly than others. And more importantly, sometimes we're much more self-centered than, than maybe we realize we are. And then it's having an identity as a couple. So that's part of dedication, is, uh, uh, part of uh, commitment is dedication. The other part of commitment is constraint. Okay? If I break my leg, a cast is placed on, on that broken part and it constrains it so that it has opportunity to heal. And so there are times in our marriages when it's like we'd rather be with somebody other than who we're with. Or we find ourselves with something where it's like, I'm just sick of this. Or we find ourselves thinking, you know what? Man, I don't know. Now it's interesting because when you look at why people divorce, or why people talk about why they end up in empty shell marriages, um, there really are three factors that come up over and over again. And, and, and here's what they are, because we think it's communication, or it's this, or it's that, or the other. But, but here's the three things that people identify. The first is, is that people end up saying, I no longer felt emotionally connected, or that I was valued or important to my mate. That's the number one. That's there in 80% of the times when people say this relationship did not work or this relationship is not working. There's a sense of I do not feel connected and I do not feel valued by my mate. Now sometimes if somebody is too narcissistic in that, they may be kind of like, well, because I want the relationship on my term. But that's not what it is in most of the cases. It's a sense in which people all the time, we make what are called bids to connect. And when those bids to connect are not received, when the other person either turns away, kind of like, yeah, I don't care, this, that's not what we're gonna do, or you don't feel heard in any way, 
okay? That's the other person turning away and you just feel that sense of not being connected. But when a relationship starts to get in even more trouble, do you know what happens? One or the other, it's not turning away, it's turning against. And so people begin to be critical of each other, people begin to, and the death nail is contempt, uh, where a person is seen as less than. And so in the turning away, what happens is, is that there's a sense in which the distance grows and when the distance grows, people begin to attach to other things, to their work, to relationships, to other people, whatever, and a relationship starts to drift. And then over time, people stop those bids to connect. And so what happens in a relationship that gets in huge trouble is that the good stuff erodes and what's left are the aspects in the relationship that are just not oil in the machinery. Now, I'm not a medical doctor, and so this may be a un very untrue, but it's a good illustration. In my body, I've got cold germs, flu germs, all kinds of germs, and I have an immune system that keeps those at bay. And in a relationship, there's a balance between the fact that there's always things that we wish were different, and there's things that are really good, and how do we navigate those in a way? Because when that immune system goes, when the, when the positive regard goes, when the turning towards goes, then we're just left with the bad stuff, and it changes everything. And at worst, what we get is what's called confirmation bias, and we start seeing the person only through the lens of our disappointment as opposed to seeing the lens of what might be possible. And again, the challenge in all this is how do we both make that commitment to turn towards? There was a study that was done, and this is just really interesting. It's, it's called an ABA design, and what that means is you look at what's going on, and then you make an intervention or a change, and see if that changes anything, and then you go back to things like they were to see what happens. And if they go back to like they were, then it means whatever the intervention was or the change, that had, a, that had a, a, an effect. And so if you take a drone and you look down, there was a city where there's a, a, an elementary school smack dab in the middle of a city block with four busy streets on each side and no fence around the playground. And what they did is they went and they observed over time, where did the kids play on the playground? And they played in parts of it, but not all of it. And what they did for the design is they put up a fence. And when they put up the fence so that no one could get out into the traffic, kids then played on the whole playground. And then when they pulled the fence back, they huddled up a little bit more. Or let's say that you go down to, I don't know, um, Gulf Shores, and there's a brand new 16-story condo going up. And it's under construction, and you say, well, can we go up and look at it? The guy goes, sure. So you go up on the 12th floor, and the sliding glass door is in, and the pad for the balcony is there, but there's no railing up there on the 12th floor, okay? Are you going to go out that sliding glass door onto that pad, okay? Most people would say no. Some people might say yes, but if you went out on it, oh my goodness, you'd stay very close to the sliding doors, and your stomach would flip, okay? But if you go two days later, and the railing's up, are you gonna go then? And the answer is, yeah, you know, unless you've got, you know, agoraphobia or whatever kind of phobia it is where you're afraid of heights. And, and, and you end up then going over to the edge and you shake the, 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 the railing and you see it's secure. And from then on in, you'll use the whole, the whole balcony. And that's what commitment is in marriage. We can have times where we're not doing well, but we're both in. We have this promise to each other, we're going to work it through and we're going to do what we need to do. And it allows then opportunity to address things. 
It allows in the midst of things for us to acknowledge our part of things. It allows us in the midst of things to look at like, yeah, right now is not our best season, but hey, we've had good before, we will have good again. So with that in mind then, then the question is, is right now, when you look at your marital history, you'll see that times of transition may have been the times that there was most, um, uh, not well, conflict maybe, or just some disequilibrium. Because anytime there's a transition, the way we've known things changes. So like, for example, a couple marries, and they have a way, and no children yet, and they have a way in which they relate to each other, okay, the value is love, and the way in which we show love to each other are these ways. Now the first kid gets born, okay? And so this list of how we spend time, that no longer can apply. We still love each other, but we've got to find another way of what it means for us as husband and wife to work together with this new life in our life and also figure out what does it mean for us as a couple in terms of how we spend time, what that looks like. Or for example, um, you end up getting a promotion at work and it's just the coolest thing. But it also requires much more work, many more hours, much more stress. And those kinds of things then shift how you relate with your partner. And so there are both developmental or just expected changes that we hope take place, like having a kid, but then other things that happen that maybe are a bit unexpected. You know, well, we hoped we'd get the promotion, but maybe somebody loses a job or maybe something happens. So sometimes the stress of the transition is something that we wouldn't have chosen, but it's in our life. So with that in mind, what we have right now, as we talked about last, uh, last Sunday, is that in the midst of challenging times, even though things are opening up, now will they close back again? What's gonna happen? Do we have to wear a mask? You know, all of that. We talked about that in the midst of all that's gone on and is going on in our culture, in our world, in, with COVID, all that's taking place, that we are weary and we get worried and we get a bit wary, okay? So it's far easier for us right now to be a little bit kinder to somebody who we work with than with our partner or our spouse, right? I mean, because we just get, uh. Now, the thing is, is that there's different sources or reasons that people have conflict, right? But one of the, one of the most frequent sources of conflict and the one that is probably, well, I wouldn't say, well, in terms of just normal run-of-the-mill conflict, it's the most unsatisfying and frustrating, is miscommunication. We all have an intent in what we say, and the message has an impact. So I may intend by what I say to say X, but you may hear Y. And especially now when things are kind of just kind of on edge more, um, there's much more of that that goes on. Or for example, we feel like we're doing more than our partner should, is doing in the midst of all of it. And we feel like that's unfair. So we say to him or her, well, would you help me with this? And they go like, no, I just got too much going on. It's like, wait a minute, I got a lot going on too. And all that takes place. So if you think about it, the other thing that's very interesting is that there is a study, there's a study done every year called Stress in America, the American Psychological Association puts out. And the latest issue of that came out in, I think it's February or March or April, I can't remember. And it was looking at kind of what's happened in terms of stress, and of course, a lot of that's tied to the pandemic. And you know what, what they found is that those who are most impacted by this have to do as adults by how young you are, okay? So that older people, it, it affects them in some ways, 
but not in the same way as people who are younger. And part of the reason for that is like, again, for Claudia and myself, okay, school year's coming up and that's totally irrelevant to us. You know, I mean, it's relevant in the sense we want our two grandsons to do well and all those kinds of things. But it's not something that's on our radar to figure out, okay? Or in our work life together, you know, we, we each kind of go our separate ways to do our work. And so whatever our responsibilities are as a couple, kind of just the practical responsibilities, our list is not that long when it comes to stuff that has immediacy to it. But for those of you who are younger families and you've got rugrats or you've got kids that are heading back to school or you thought one of you's lost a job or one of you's kind of had to put your job aside or both of you are working at home or one is working at home, I mean, and who's going to get who, where, when? I mean, there's just a lot that goes into that. And so this, this one author in talking about that, he said, we have to right now, and it's really true in any transition, but we'll just use the fall season coming up. We have to decide not slide. And what he meant by that is a lot of times we just kind of go into what we know are gonna be predictable stressors without really talking through who's got which and what and where, in what way, okay? And so there's, it's crucial right now as you're taking a look at all the stress that is going on in your family, the practical stuff, it's got to be addressed. And I want to speak to that in just a second. In relationships, there's really two sides to the same coin. There's the relational aspect, affection, care, love, respect, all those kinds of things, right? Which are crucial and essential and it's why we get married. But there's also a structural side, or almost, for lack of a better term, a business side to marriage, which is there's tasks to do Who's responsible for what? Okay, what are our roles? What are our responsibilities? What do we each have as our obligations? And when a transition takes place, like I was saying, you may have worked that out, but now in a transition, that's kind of all up in the air again. And so again, unless you communicate about that, each of you kind of assumes the other's gonna cover some bases without really having figured that out, and that will lead to the miscommunication. And right now, when you're weary or you're stressed or you can't get a two kids to the same place, at the, to different places at the same time, it's gonna show up in irritation. It's gonna show up in frustration with each other. So the what you, what, what's important to do then is how, how do you sit down and talk about those things together? One model, I mean, there's a thousand models, so it's whatever works for you. So there's not a way to do it. It's just that you gotta do it in order to kind of be clear where we are. And the more there's clarity to some of those things, guess what happens? You just feel more affection towards each other or you feel more like friends, or you feel more like we're, we're in this together. But when that miscommunication's there, or we just don't feel like we've got it figured out, then it's really hard to just kind of enjoy our relationship. So, one model is kind of this four-stage model, which is the first is full discussion. And the way that you do that on something we're especially kind of going through all we've gone through, you just say, what are the questions we wanna answer? And the question first might be things like, hey, look, what's all this been like for you? Or like, hey, do you feel like we're kind of working together as a team or are we missing the boat? Or, hey, what are the big rocks for you that we gotta figure out? And so each of you is filling that out yourself. Before having a full discussion, there's something about writing out, here are the things that I'd like you to hear from my perspective. And when you write those things out, hey, what are the things we need to cover? Okay, what's it been like for us? Hey, are there kind of some loose ends we need to tie up? Whatever those things are. If you write first, Writing forces clarity, and it gives you a chance to prayerfully consider, here's what I want to communicate with my partner. 
And it's really interesting because when you do that, then when you share each of your lists, you're not keying off the other person and you don't go on tangents. And you'll find there's several things we're in agreement about. Yeah, let's, let's figure those out. And where you're in agreement about the things that need to get figured out, figure those things out first. And then when we're different, let's talk about those. You know, how do we, how do we navigate that? There's never gonna be a perfect solution. So step one is that full discussion where we seek to hear as well as be heard. And the second part of that is, okay, what exactly are the issues? What do we, what do we got going on here? And then the third thing is, what's our plan? What shall we try and do? And then the fourth stage is being able to say, let's try it for this week as flawlessly as you can, and then let's talk again next Thursday night and figure out if it's working or not. Oftentimes what happens when we're trying to resolve something is we'll talk it to death without getting a plan. Or if we get a plan, we don't see if it's really working until it's not working. And a lot of times, again, we end up then, and this is so true for all of us, we end up then talking about the most important stuff at the worst possible time. Because the entree into that conversation is somebody's irritated or frustrated, and the other person gets defensive, and it just doesn't go anywhere. Here's what we know in terms of how God designed our body. If your heart rate goes up above 100 beats a minute when you're in conversation with someone, you literally get what's called tunnel vision. Because what's happening is you're getting activated inside. Now some of us, that activation shows on the outside because we get louder or we get whatever. Other people, it's more on the inside where we kind of go, it's kind of like Elvis has left the building. You know, I'm, I'm out of this conversation. What women hate most, and again, this is generalizations because every couple's different, but the research would say that what women hate most is the distance, the not addressing when there's something going on. For men, the thing they hate most is the tension associated with the conflict. Because oftentimes when they've wired people up in conflict, women can look upset but their heart rate is really not that high, and men can look real stoic and they're freaking out inside. But the thing is, is that if that happens, you have got to call a timeout. Now a lot of times when we call timeouts, what we think is the other person's shutting us down. They got the last word and now they're saying timeout. Okay, that's not what it is at all. If we're moving towards each other and genuinely see each other on a team and genuinely we would like to try and solve something and right now we're not doing a very good job of it. A basketball coach, what Penny Hardaway does if the team's playing crummy is he calls a timeout. And the timeout is so that play stops and they get back together and they figure out what we're gonna do next. How annoying would it be if a timeout's called and the team's gathering and somebody's over there still dribbling the ball, right? So you just gotta let it drop. And the thing is that we know that when you've been activated like that, it's minimum 20 minutes before your heart settles. And then the key becomes coming back to it and saying, we were doing just fine till right there. And a lot of times when you look at where you got off track, there's miscommunication or you just really weren't hearing each other. So really look to protect the relationship, especially now, by using some of those tools and techniques in ways that can be helpful. The other thing that, that I wanna mention is just run through a list of a few things, because we're, we're near the end of our time, but run through a few things that we know can help to keep the positive going in a relationship. And here's what some of those things are. One is, is, is being able to make it a priority, to learn your partner's love language, and, and to speak it every day. You know, it, it's really finding ways to communicate to them in the language that matters to them. So if somebody really loves the encouraging words, there's something about catching them doing something right. If somebody really does like when you kind of put your stuff away, put it away. There's a sense in which it's really saying, how can I reduce our tension, but also how can I communicate that care to my partner? 
The second thing is, is that every couple's got certain what are kind of connector rituals, okay? It's like, I just like if you give me a kiss before you leave in the morning, or I like when you come home that you give me a few minutes to just hang, or I like when, I mean, so there's certain things that are your connectors. And you want to talk about those. What are the things? Because there's unpredictable stressors, like I said, and then there's predictable ones. And predictable ones have to do with how do we re-enter after a busy day? Or how do we find time for us in the midst of everything that's going on? So again, there's, it's a good thing sometimes to just say, what are those rituals? How, when we come home at night, how do we connect? And so one of the researchers says, hey, look, don't go to bed, don't come home, don't leave the house in silence. You know, let each other know what's going on. The other is, is making a point to express appreciation on a regular basis. It's catching each other doing stuff right. When I was in college, I went to TCU, and outside the gym was this huge net, and about 15 yards away from it, uh, you could hit golf balls into it, which is pretty cool for those who played golf because they could practice their stroke. But the problem was, hitting into a net, you're not getting any feedback. You don't know if you're grooving a good swing or not. You just know you're hitting the ball into a net. So in the same way, sometimes in couples, and I hear this a lot, people will say, I just think she's tired of me. Or like, look, I can't do anything right for him. And the other person's genuinely surprised. They're like, what are you talking about? But if you look at it, sometimes we express more our dissatisfaction or something that needs to be solved than talking about what we appreciate about the other person. And when someone shares with us that something made a difference, that matters. It increases the likelihood it'll happen more. But we all like to know we made a difference. And so it's recognizing that our partner does things that improves us or improves the marriage. But also it's recognizing that our partner does a ton more for us and a ton more for the marriage than we even realize, okay? And that's really important, not only for being able to communicate care to each other, but the way that we're wired is we look to fix stuff first. And so sometimes being able to look for what's good gives us a balance and we're not just looking at our partner through a, a frustration. Another thing to, to, to be aware of is, look, if you want to criticize your partner, delay, and avoid being a psychopath, okay, which is really that notion about we're just going to explain to the person why they're acting like their mother, or we're just going to explain to the person why they need to this, that, or the other. When you delay and deactivate, there's a lot more likelihood that you're going to communicate what you want to communicate in a reasonable way, whereas when we're activated, we just want to get it solved, want to get it settled. The other thing that's so crucial, when you know you've been wrong on something, double back and let your partner know. It's something incredibly freeing for each of us to be able to say, I messed that up and I'm sorry. As opposed to, well, maybe I did, but what about you? You know, we can get caught in that tension. As opposed to, because again, at the end of the day, we can influence each other, but we can't change each other. The only person we have control over is ourselves. And the turning towards means that I want to do my part to turn towards to caring for my partner in the best way that I can. Sometimes we're successful in doing it, sometimes not so much, but we go through those different seasons in our marriage and, and, and we want to do our part to make it right. Two other things just to mention. One is that um, be sure that if you say no to a request, you say when you might say yes. So your partner says to you, hey, do you want to go to the movies this weekend? And you go like, yeah, no, nah, I don't want to go. It's like, okay. 
So the partner's like, okay, do you not ever want to go to the movies? Does not want to go to that movie? Do you want to do something with me? So there's something about being able to say, yeah, I don't want to go see that movie, but I'll tell you what, go see that with some friends. I'll go see something different with you. Or like, nah, I really don't want to this weekend. I'm just jammed on 14 things. Or like, hey, look, I'd love to spend some time. Could we figure something out other than a movie? So there's something about being able to say no and yes. Or if somebody says, hey, can we spend some time talking right now? And you're really not available to talk right then. It's really saying, look, I've got to finish this up but I'll make you a deal. When this is done, let's sit down and talk. Like, look, I am wiped out tonight, but I'll make you a deal. Let's talk tomorrow night. Now, the key in that is, though, did you know that probably if you make a promise to somebody else like that, there's a high likelihood you'll keep it? If you make it to your partner, it's really literally a 50-50 chance you'll follow up. So when you end up saying to someone, let's talk later, a lot of times where a couple's gotten, the other says, yeah, later's not going to come. You're just avoiding it. Okay? So if you say no and you say yes, make sure you follow through on the yes. One couple that had a trouble with that, they went to Graceland and they bought this great big Elvis magnet. And so if there was something that was hanging out there, the one where it was hanging out there that wanted to really talk about it and the other said they would, they go put the magnet on the refrigerator. And so if it doesn't come up, rather than saying, you said you'd talk about this and we didn't, blah, 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 which is that not the best way to go into it, they would say to the other, hey, look, Elvis is still up on the refrigerator, which became a code word for we still got a conversation to have. The final thing I'll say, and then we do need to stop, is, is this. Learn to speak for yourself directly. A lot of times people talk in code or ask what are called unfair questions. Unfair questions where you're asking something because there's an answer you want, as opposed to saying what you'd like and then asking your question. Hey, does it feel cold in here? No, it feel okay to me. Okay, is really different than saying, man, I'm cold. Can I kind of turn the air up a little bit? or saying, hey, look, I would love to go get ice cream tonight. Um, you interested? Rather than just saying, you wanna go get ice cream? Or it's saying, hey, look, tonight, yeah, I know I'm supposed to cover these bases, but would you be willing to help me with this? So rather than just saying, hey, help me with some stuff, it's just saying specifically, this is what it'd be. And in the midst of it, recognize that our partners irritate us, but honestly, we irritate our partner too. We've got a bunch of idiosyncrasies. There's a classic cartoon that I've got from Better or For Worse, and uh, uh, the, 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 the husband and wife who love each other, they're working in the kitchen, and the wife says to him, no, John, not like this, like this. Oh, no, wait, you missed that spot. No, wait, put the dishes in that way. And he ends up handing the rag back to her and says, why don't you just finish it up? And then the last frame in the cartoon is she's having a glass of wine in a fern bar with her friend, and she says, you know, Al, she said, John's a good guy, but I just can't get him to help around the house. See? <laughs> so if we can hold our part with humility, if we can really hear and be influenced by each other, if we can understand that rather than getting defensive, trying to be open to that full discussion, all those things can make just a really, really huge difference. Now, one other technique that I'd like to suggest is this, and that's a couple's meeting. Okay, it's like, I don't want to do a couple. Some are like, yes, and others are like, I don't want a couple. But what I mean by that is taking time, different times, at a planned time, to sit down and step out of the relationship and talk about it. But if you just say, how do you think it's going? How do you think it's going? That doesn't work. What works is having an agenda. And one agenda is, hey, look, what's going right? Hey, look, is there anything off track? What's the schedule look like this coming week? How are we doing with the agreements we made? How can I pray for you this week? Those are just some agenda items, but just some way in which you step back take a full look at the relationship, and then move back in and keep it going. We do that in so many areas of our life, but often not in our marriage. So all that to say, turn towards, recognize different seasons will be easier than others. 
Know that who you can change is you. And look to do your part so that at the end of the day you look back and you say, yeah, it was worth it. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you that um, we are in the relationships we're in and that you gave us the people that you gave us to be partners with. Father, help us with eyes wide open to do our part. Help us to recognize that really we're all a mess and that sometimes we compare how everybody looks with how we look. And yet, Father, the beauty is when we just share with each other, we realize we're all in this together and that brings relief. Father, be with us in the midst of all these challenging times. Help us to look back like my grandparents did and be able to sit with our partner and say, yeah, this was good, this was hard, but it was worth it. We ask this, Father, in your son's name, amen.